Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You are almost assuredly welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Once again, I am Paddy Holly, and once again, I am joined by the fabulous, phantasmagorical Miss Lenny Bickerdike. How are you today, Lenny? I'm grand, Paddy. How are you? I'm, I'm tipping away, you know, you know, uh, hanging in there. Yeah. Pulling the devil by the coattails. Well, I did come in in a bit of a mood today because of oh. the price of my sandwich. <laughs> right, right. Because the inflation of your sandwich. Yeah, my sandwich, which has gone up by 65 cents, <laughs> which that is a, that's a continental disgrace. I'm so angered by it. Yeah. But the sandwich was lovely, if anybody's wondering. Oh, good. I very right. much enjoyed it. I have half of it still left in my yeah. bag for later on. Oh, very good. Uh, today we're uh, we're talking a number of things that I love in Irish folklore. We're talking warrior heroes, and we're talking about games, the game of hurling in particular, which I know we we both uh, enjoy. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about uh, what hurling is? Hurling is a traditional Irish sport which involves a uh, schlitter, which is the type of ball. That's used, it, it would be about the size of a tennis ball, but it's very hard. It's a white ball. If you got a knock of it, you're going to be in the hospital for a couple of days. And it yeah. is played with a hurley stick, which is like a, it can vary in size depending on the person who's holding it. But they're kind of, um kind of come up to about the height of your knee. And they're a brown sort of stick that you would use to, to hit the ball with. It's quite a it's quite a violent sport. It is. It Curling is. is. It's 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 wider at the at the bottom than yeah. the, at the handle, and it's um, the latest form of it is kamogi. Kamogi's mm-hmm. uh, rules are a bit different uh, to. Uh, I don't know why kamogi has to be so different. In from the, hurling. I know in the rules of hurling, you're allowed to have three broken fingers per hand. Because right. it only allows two functioning fingers to hold the ball. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, wow. that'll that give you a kind of description of this kind of sport. And they wear a helmet that's very, very similar to American football. A very, very tight, like, caged, like, helmet on their heads. Um, because it's, it's, it's tough going, but it's a great sport to watch. Yeah. And... Um we're also talking about warrior heroes, of, of course, and uh, when hurling comes to mind in Ireland with warrior heroes, then, of course, we're, you probably know who we're talking about. Cúcollin, the Hound of Ulster, the uh, uh, best warrior in the Red Branch Knights of, of Ulster. Uh, quite an interesting character. Do you, uh, what do you think of Cúcollin, Lenny? Be honest now. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind him. Right. He's not someone I gravitate towards specifically no, out right. of out of the warriors of Nafinia. He wouldn't be someone I'd or the Red Branch. Yeah, uh, yeah. And do they do? Is there a warrior in um, Irish mythology that you go? Yeah, I could vibe with them. I'd go with the Dagda. Right, right. One He'd the be dogs. the one I'd be yeah. going with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, the 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 great daddy of them all. The the Druid King. Because if you're gonna go, with, you might as well go with the best, and you might as well go with someone who has like multiple powers, who's just like the granddaddy of them yeah. all. I find it must have made an impact on all of the generations because the harp is still the symbol of yeah, Ireland today. You know? Yeah, and we're getting that from the Dagda's harp from that from the story that uh, you tell. Yes, quite beautifully, in Thank fact. You. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so we're talking about Kukulla, we're talking about Ulster or Northern Ireland, and we're also talking about another favourite thing of ours, which is dogs. Yeah, dogs. Doggos. Although... <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot of people who don't don't like stories, won't watch films, won't watch TV series if they know there's an there is a dog that dies yeah. within that story. They're like, I don't want to get involved. Yeah, I you'd be heartbroken. And sure, I was only texting you yesterday in the group chat saying um, that I seen an Irish wolfhound on Henry Street. Right. And I had to double take because I actually thought it was a horse. And then I did a very typical thing, a very typical Irish thing, which is to follow that dog around the shop. So I went into like a joke shop and started following him around. And I swear to God, he came up to the height of my waist. He was absolutely yeah. enormous. They're the largest dog in existence. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, but they're it's gangly looking. They are. You, you know, know, they look yeah. like they wouldn't, you know, protect you from a fly. It's not like a Tibetan Mastiff or anything. They're not, they're not a ball. There's no meat on them either. No, they're not, scrawny. Yeah, there's not a ball of fur or... Um, but very placid, fat. very, very docile dogs. Yeah. But they, yeah, I was, I was very surprised. I've maybe only seen two or three of them in my life of that size. They don't live very long. No, about, about six, eight years really is yeah, all you're going to get. It's tough for them. Yeah, I think it's it's the legs. The arthritis goes in the legs. Oh, wow. So I don't think they... That's with a lot of big dogs, you know, but absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So I, I had to go and have a look at them. But this dog in this story is a different yeah, kettle well, of fish. Well, today when we breed an Irish wolfhound, we breed them to look pretty and to be healthy for a long time, as long as they can. But uh, people forget that the Irish bred the Irish wolfhound for battle yeah. and for hunting. You know, they were supposed to be huge. When you went to battle uh, with uh, with an Irish army, there was a lot of dogs there, lots of very big dogs taking chunks out of you during the battle. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was, you had every warrior band who had a, a master of the hounds and someone to look after the dogs. And dogs figure, figure a lot in our folklore and mythology. Mm -hmm. Some of uh, the dogs are, uh, people that have been transformed and some of the dogs are yeah like yeah. myself and, and stefan were talking at the front yesterday we seen this dog go by and it was um it had very high pointed ears like like a doberman but it had a very droopy face like a boxer and it was really really heavy and I, we were saying you know lord norbury who's meant to have transformed oh, yes, into yeah. the black hound who's yeah. buried just here behind us for any yeah. of the listeners he's said to be buried um what's the name of that square behind us Wolf there wolftown square yeah. and he he comes back into the city in the form of this black hound and we seen it and we were immediately thinking lord, lord norbury's going yeah. by there now yeah, yeah. and uh, of course uh, finn mccool has two dogs as cousins yeah because his his aunt was transformed into a dog brandon Skjolon, mm -hmm. probably the most famous, famous dogs yeah. in irish mythology aside from well no prizes for guessing this story is probably the you could argue that it's the most famous irish myth aside perhaps from the children of lear yeah. it's the irish myth that all irish people do in school and mm -hmm. you, people remember it from school. It is how Cullen got his name. And it is, uh, it is told uh, to us by our fearless, fearless leader, uh, Mr. Mark Giro.
long, long ago in Ireland, there was a young boy by the name of Satanta. And Satanta was no more than ten years of age, but he, was, he wasn't a normal ten-year-old boy. He'd spend his days out in the fields, travelling across the land, hitting the ball with his hurl, but he could hit the ball so hard that it would travel halfway across the county. But he could still run and catch it before it even hit the ground. The boy would often lose track of time, and one spring day he was out, racing across the country, racing through the fields and over the hilltops, striking the ball, running and catching it, when he found himself standing at the edge of a field. In this field he saw dozens of young men, a few years older than him, and they're all practicing with their hurls. You see, it was more than just a sport. It was a way to train the young warriors. It was a form of hunting. But these young men, these were the sons of the Red Branch Knights, the most feared army in all of Ireland, an army that Satanta hoped one day he would take his place within their numbers. He saw an opportunity that he just couldn't resist, so he approached the young men and he asked if he could join in with them. And they just laughed. Satanta was so small, so much younger, they'd said their concerns. They were worried that he wouldn't be able to keep up. They were worried that that he would get hurt and they couldn't take responsibility for that. And with this, Satanta was furious. He had a big ball of rage in his chest and he challenged all of the young men to a game of hurling. They laughed, but he knew that they didn't stand a chance. The look of this young boy was so misleading. I think for maybe the first couple of seconds they thought they'd go easy on him. But with every strike of the ball he seemed to just get faster and stronger. The young men were dropping like flies. They couldn't keep up with him. If they ran into him they just met with the ground. But while all this was going on, from the edge of the field standing at the trees was Cormac Nasser the High King of Ulster. He should have been concerned looking at his future army being taken down by one young boy, but he actually found it quite amusing. He couldn't get over it. At one stage, he called to Satanta. It took him a while to get his attention. Satanta didn't even really recognise who he was talking to. He was so focused on the game. But when the king invited Satanta to come and sit by his side at a feast being held by the great Cullen, the blacksmith of the Regbrandt Knights. Satanta agreed, but said that it would be late when he arrived, because he wanted to teach these young men a lesson. The king laughed and set off about his day. Well, later that evening, the party was in full swing. The ale was flowing, they were feasting, all the great warriors were gathered around their tables sharing stories and listening to the sweet music in the light of a big fire, candles everywhere. The drink was flowing as I say, food was being eaten, stories were being shared, it was all rather distracting. The king actually forgot about his invitation that he had extended to the young boy. So by the time Satanta had finished beating the last of the boys, it was quite dark, it was quite late. But he remembered his commitment, and being a young man of his word, he set off to the home of Cullen. Now as I said, 
Back at the feast, it was in full swing, and it was getting quite late. So Cullen the blacksmith, who was a huge figure of a man, as close to a giant as anyone else on the island of Ireland. When he approached the king, and he said, My king, he says, it is getting late, and our armies are distracted and their bellies are full. I am going to lock the gates and release my hound to watch over us. Now listen to me. Cullen's hound was more like a horse. This dog was befitting a man of Cullen's stature. It was huge. It had teeth like knives and growls like thunder. So when the dog was put outside, it watched over the place while the gates were locked. We turn back to young Satanta now. Satanta makes his way across the land and the hills. As soon as he sets foot on Cullen's ground, the earth begins to shake. There is a noise of thunder. But when Satanta looks up to the heavens, the sky is black and clear. The stars are shining. But still there's the noise of thunder and the ground beneath his feet is shaking. And when he looks back down to the horizon, he sees these deep red eyes and the glinting of the moonlight on these ferocious teeth as Cullen's hound is running towards him. Satanta is frozen to the spot in fear momentarily. But then he takes his hurl and he takes his slitter, the round leather ball, and he strikes it with such force that it hits the dog in the mouth and comes out the other end. The hound falls to the ground with a scream, a scream that rings through the ears of every warrior in the Great Hall. It is a truly sobering cry. Suddenly the king is aware, he he remembers his invitation he extended to that young boy he saw on the field that day, and he thinks the scream is the scream of the young boy. He remembers about Cullen's hound, and he's sure that the young boy has just been killed. Cullen and the warriors rush towards the gates. Cullen gets them open as quickly as he can and the soldiers rush out. And they can't believe what they see. As the king and Cullen walk to the front of the crowd, they see the young boy standing over the body of the beast. And when they see the dog on the ground, Cullen starts to cry. Satanta speaks up and he says, Why are you crying? I've killed this great beast that was roaming across your land. I've, I've potentially saved your people. But Cullen replies, That's no beast. That's my, that's my dog. I've raised him from a pup. He's my, my most loyal servant. Everywhere I go, he stands by my side and at night he watches over our people. But now he's gone. What am I supposed to do? Satanta, realising what he's done, is heartbroken. And he makes a promise. He looks Cullen dead in the eye and he says, I am going to find you a new dog. I am going to train him myself. I'm going to dedicate myself to this dog. He is going to be faster. He is going to be stronger. He is going to be so loyal. But until the day that that dog is ready, I'll be your dog. It'll be me who stands by your side. Me who watches over your people. And on that day, Satanta changed his name. He took on a new mantle. He became known as Coo Cullen, the Hound of Ulster. And he goes on to become quite possibly the most famous and greatest warrior Ireland has ever known. And that's the story of how he got his name.
Well, what, what a tale, what, a, what an epic tale and so impressively uh, told. Um, what stands out for you, uh, Lenny, about the story? I feel the description of the dog because it seems to me to be something that happens in a lot of folkloric tales with the description of some type of hound with you know has this rumble of thunder within its chest and the description of how the dog or the hound dies because i haven't heard that version right. of with the ball well it's, i've heard a different yeah it is the original version it's just that we tend to censor it when we're in schools mm -hmm. or in children's books we tend to remove that part mm -hmm. from the, about the, the ball going down the mouth and out the out the tail um, we love dogs so much now. It is. It is. It is, it is, it is sometimes hard. hard to hear the them yeah. kinds of stories. Yeah. So, the it maybe it tells us how much the Irish have changed. Mm. You know, when I was a kid, a dog was kind of a nuisance. I remember you telling me they're yeah. they're outside for they're, staying on the farm. They're outside. They work yeah. outside and they live outside and they. You know, we had a dog. Uh, we called him. Ironically, Tiger. <laughs> and Tiger would get up in the morning, he'd eat his breakfast, and then he'd call around to four of the neighbours for another breakfast. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I'm fully convinced that maybe some of the neighbours thought that he was their dog as well. Yeah. You know, and the dog was, uh, the dog got the leavings off the table. It didn't get fancy pet food, and, uh, you know, you didn't want it under your feet. And you, my mother, I can always hear the voice of my mother telling the dog to get out of the house because mm -hmm. the dog should not be inside. Do you think that's more of a country thing? Maybe. Um, I think there's probably always been people who cared more about dogs than other people. Yeah. But uh, I think as well that we've reached a stage now where rightly or wrongly, whichever way you want to, uh, mm -hmm. to view it, the dog is a proper family member. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there. See, it was always like that in our house. Like, oh, no, we didn't have dogs. We always had cats, right. which it, oh, it tends to be the debate: the dog or the cat. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the f if some of the folkloric stories as well, it's like you always have like uh, the cat being the conduit of the Kylock, the Irish yeah. witch, or the king of the cats ripping out Nuda's eyes, yeah, and then you, and they're always up to some cynicism or up to something slimy or yeah. up to something bad, and then you have the dogs who are here to save the day at the at the foot of Keshkor, and again you've got Bran yeah. and Skjolan coming to the rescue against the hags, so it's like yeah. this this ongoing theme of the cat and the dog, like... One of the the king of the cats stories, the... the, the, um, the Someone walks in and, and mentions that the cat around the corner is dead. And yeah. the cat starts to talk and says, the king of the cats is dead. That means yeah. I'm the king of the cats now. And, you know, you got the feeling that the cat would never have let on that they could talk or they were very intelligent to the humans in the house if they hadn't heard that they were now the king of the cats. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah. Uh, cats are used as the opposites of dogs mm -hmm. you know dogs are, are faithful and straightforward cats have um, cats have something that the Irish people prize a lot in stories uh, which is glickus or intelligence mm -hmm. they have that intelligence now they tell us that that intelligence is completely fined that uh, or, or pretended that most cats aren't actually that smart well if you but, came and lived with my two I would agree with you tenfold <laughs> oh and the the idea of a ten year old boy 
having that kind of ambition. I just think back to my own my own childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I wanted to be a scientist. Mm-hmm. I pretended to be a scientist at various uh, uh, various times, uh, but the ambition to be a warrior at ten, to be trained as a warrior, the, the you know. How much does a child know about a warrior's life? Do they know about living and dying, or is is that? Do you think that was just in them culturally? Yeah, but I, I also think we see that in today as well when we see certain individuals who grow up to from a very young age to master a very specific skill. So, right. like someone who was a child actor who grew up to be, you know, win every Academy Award and have an amazing career, yeah. or the likes. Of I don't know why Michael Schumacher comes into my head from a very young age, really, really ambitious in that area, yeah. and then grew up to you know be the best of his generation. So I think maybe it is something instinctive within yes. within a person that they know that this is going to to be their path, and nothing will stand in the way of them True. doing that. You know, I think so. It, it could start as early as ten. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it even yeah. starts earlier. Some people just have yeah. that knowing they're going. Not not knowing how, but that's what they're going to do. Right. And they're going to get to that stage of, of yeah. doing it, no matter what stands in the way. In some versions, the mother tells him he's not allowed to go, and but he mm-hmm. goes anyway. So the maybe the the mother had more of a sense that when men go off to fight, they go off to die, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the time. Now, Cuchulain is probably has one of the most famous deaths in Irish folklore. Mm-hmm. If, if you go to the GPO, the birthplace of the Republic, and you stand outside, what's there but a huge statue of Cuchulain dying on a rock? Mm-hmm. You know, it is, um, it is left an impact, I suppose, that kind of uh, character setting out from 10 years old. To be a warrior and to to protect the people of Ulster. I, I also think with um, not not to get too political, but to to speak of like how little time Ireland has had as a republic on its own. It was a story that people really latched onto, so it doesn't uh, surprise me it's lasted so long. Because I also did um, that story in school, as you're saying, Children of Lear. Oshin was another story, yeah. and there's something so fundamentally still so important or something that we yeah. feed off those stories as Irish people that we actually historically needed these people yeah. it was you giving know. us an identity it was yeah. giving us an identity and even yeah. though you know who's to say you're 10 years old you're living in the middle of nowhere and you hear these Ku Cullen stories it can really be quite influential yeah. into what it distills to what you go and do so I think that's how it lasted so long if, if nothing else it might uh, inspire you to take up the game of hurling yeah <laughs> the fastest field sport in the world and I often wonder though about Kerhur and NASA um, like in most stories he's quite a sinister character mm-hmm. you know he's uh, in in the town and in the revenge of Mesquidra he's quite a nefarious character and in the uh, is it the um, Deirdre of the Sorrows? He's mm-hmm. quite, so I, it does kind of prick my consciousness and I yeah. go... Seems too simple. To Did he want the child mm-hmm. dead? You know, here's this... Here is, he can see out on the hurling field that this child is exceptional. And when you're an exceptional warrior in ancient Ireland, yeah. then there's nothing stopping you from 
becoming king yourself if you rise to do, to do that. So it is a little bit interesting that uh, that he just forgot mm-hmm. about the boy when they locked the door and let out the dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you're saying, if that's how big the description of what I'm saying I saw yesterday with that dog, to think of how big that hound would have been. Right. But then again, you're thinking of like also the scale of how tall Satanta was said to be. Right. In comparison to how small we are. So, right. like, I often think of, like, say, that hound, for example, like, as Mark said, the size of a horse right. is what I, and I, I'd love with, to see that. With, <laughs> with fangs like knives, yeah. 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 There's always the fangs like knives. Um, the Ulster, the Ulster stories, uh, we don't, we probably don't do as much as the Fenian stories here in the museum. Um, because they're very complex and very sophisticated mm-hmm. in many ways, and very long. Uh, the tall, of course, is the great, is the, the, our national epic. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, do you think that there's a reason why we gravitate more towards uh, Finn McCool than Cullen? I don't know, maybe it's more of a familiarity. It's something that people feel that they can stretch for right. a bit easier with the stories of Fionn and everyone knows the stories of Fionn and they seem maybe a little bit more accessible. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's a bit, uh, there's, they're a bit more fun as well, like the secondary characters with Conan of the woolly back. Yeah. And yeah, the, there was, there was one guy, Fergal of the, the soft lips and uh, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, and I also feel like it gets, like when you go down the line from like Cucullin to Fionn to Oshin to Oscar, yeah. It does very much soften as you go down the line within like the intensity or right. whatever is happening in the story is yeah. it gets quite a, a lot less graphic maybe in yeah. some cases as it goes yeah. down the line. Yeah, whereas um, the Tawn and the Cool Colin stories are very serious mm-hmm. and they're very dark and uh, very violent in parts. And sometimes, so. you know, people don't want to, they don't want to listen to that. Sometimes, no. you know, people want no. a bit of a laugh or they, or they, they want something that is a little bit more like Brian Baru's toes, which has become a classic <laughs> from you, Polly, in the museum of the last couple of months. Yeah. So sometimes they want something that's a little bit more silly, but it is nice to be able to, as a storyteller, be able to show both the light and the dark and be yeah. like, oh, well, th- if you're interested, this is this yeah. is the story of this, rather than, you know, to be able to give kind of both flavours to someone who might be, be a little bit more interested in that darker side. Our warrior heroes are never depicted as being perfect, mm-hmm. uh, but I think um, Cool Colin is uh, even uh, s- slightly less, uh, slightly even more problematic, I suppose, in some ways. Uh, you know, he has that he has that rage that comes over him, that uncontrollable rage or anger mm-hmm. that, that means he takes out friend and foe on the battlefield. There's the story, the famous story of the death of Kuri, which I sometimes tell on my Darkland is essentially uh, uh, really quite violent and quite dark. Mm-hmm. So it's sometimes I feel with uh, you need to be in a proper headspace mm-hmm. for Cool Colin rather than Finn McCool or Finn McCool, whichever way you like to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Is there any other Cool Colin story that you like or that uh, you would uh, be interested in? I don't normally tell any Cool Colin stories on my tour. 
Right. I do tell stories of O'Shean. I do tell stories of Oscar, also Aideen, yeah. from that specific, because I live quite close to her grave. Oh, very good, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't tend to venture in, into an Elka Cullen story now. Right. Not normally. If you had to uh, analyse it and ask it and, and say why, what would you say? I think, for me personally, yeah. I find stories of folklore very 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 interesting because i feel like they're so close to us as people right. whereas sometimes a mythological warrior can seem to me leanne and living in this time yeah, at this yeah. place that can seem a little bit far removed for me yeah. and i think i like to tell stories that are very very much um that are very much of now and that people can kind of relate to sometimes i feel the story of Cullen that's slightly unrelatable to me okay, personally right. so i think that's maybe why i don't gravitate towards them so much yeah. because i i would definitely say i i gear to to have you heard this yeah. story about this specific yeah. fairy about this specific area is tend to be what i i really like to talk about to get into something yeah. that that's very very specific maybe it's tough to relate to the, the son of a god. Who, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I sometimes see people looking at me when I go into some of these stories and they're like, I have to tell them that it is, you know, it, 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 it is hard because we've worked here for, for yeah. a, a, an extended period of time that we're, we come in the door and we're already within that mindset. It can be difficult sometimes to explain to someone, you know, the good place and the place where we, we reside, there was no differentiation between the two at one point yeah, when people yeah, lived yeah. and i come sometimes see this this look kind of yeah. come upon people's face when they're like what do you mean and you, you kind of need to do yeah. a bit some explaining into that and then i feel yeah. like they if they've got that far maybe we might go into something else but sometimes for people it's best to keep it to to something that will be a little bit more familiar to them because that's a big concept yeah and especially to a child you know oh yeah it's like, massive it's like it's a lot easier to say the humans arrived they defeated the fairies yeah. they drove them under the ground and then the fairies got all small and wrinkly yeah it's a yeah. lot easier to say that than the humans arrived they defeated the fairies and then they had basically uh 500 years where mm -hmm. they tried to get along uh, it didn't quite work out because the fairies are so mischievous and the humans are so violent you know it's a uh, it's uh, it's tough to get that across. Mm -hmm. really. Yeah, I yeah. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. People like their the people like their background simple, so that they can get into the meat of the story. Mm -hmm. Really into the into the adventure of stories. And sometimes as well, because it, obviously when you're doing your tour, there needs to be a through line. There needs to be a connection between yeah. each place that you're in. And I feel like if you're going to go cook Cullen, you need to read the room quite quickly when you're in the front room because you need to start off at a yeah. base level if you're going to do some type of cook Cullen story at the very right. end. Yeah. And sometimes if people don't vibe that, I might just do something different. Yeah. But yeah, genuinely not someone I would normally gravitate towards. What about his, his great enemy, Queen Maeve? Where does she stand for you in, in your your uh, hierarchy of characters I don't mind Queen Maeve now at all I I, I would I would speak more of Neve Kinnor right. because um I, I always I always get very I love the description 
of women within stories and folklore, like specifically from, um, say somebody like Birog, the the wind. Yeah. The description of her, there's a, there's one that I found where she's said to be made of silver, right? Of wow. solid silver, wow. and I find that like descriptions of women being these almost not even the fact that they're mythical but their beauty is a myth within itself yeah, do you know yeah. that kind of way so yeah I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind now Queen Maeve at all she she pops up in some cases but then again normally on a dark land with Queen Maeve yeah. not so much on a daytime tour the, the thing is you have with Queen Maeve you have to explain that she is technically the villain of it mm-hmm. but she is she is the villain of the town for reasons we were you were you there when we went to her where she was said to be killed uh, were you with us that day in the north no i don't think so yeah we no. went we went to the to the field that she was said to be killed in i've been to her cairn in county sligo all right okay but i've not been to the site of her dying okay um because she's technically the villain of the town, but she's the villain because she takes on the roles and responsibilities of a man. Mm-hmm. So uh, then you have to pass that Cú Cullen is defending Ulster against a woman who is seizing power so that she can be equal to her husband. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like... It's, it's like nothing has changed. It is like nothing <laughs> has changed. But it's nothing has changed in the, in the sense that uh, um, nowadays you'd look at that and you'd be quite sketchy about saying... Is she still the villain? Is Cú Cullen still the hero of the town? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he fights very hard. He, but he kills his best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a. It's very Shakespearean. It's very yeah. Macbethian. I find yeah. the relationship. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we've had an awful lot to ponder here uh, on uh, today's episode. A lot of uh, very important things to think about. Uh, in our own storytelling going forward. It was a real pleasure to be joined by uh, you, uh, Lenny, and to be here on uh, the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Do reach out to us on the usual uh, social media. I was Pawdy, and you were very, very good listeners. Bye!